0: Claire Means Business, a Clare FM exclusive podcast with Josh Prenderville.
1: Hello there, a very happy Friday to you and you're very welcome to Claire Means Business. I hope you've had a good week. I don't know about you, but it's great to see the evenings getting brighter just for a minute or two at a time. Later we'll hear about the EY Entrepreneur of the Year programme and how it's coming around again and is looking for care entries. Now though, next week we'll see the government reveal its latest cost of living package at the very top of the agenda, certainly in this county's case, would be the rate of VAT applied to the hospitality sector, which is of course such an important industry for us here locally, employing well over 10,000 people in County Clare. We wanted to get an idea of where pubs and bars lay in all this and to get a sense of where the industry, from a local perspective at least, may be headed in general. I chatted to Claire Branch Chair of the Vintners Federation of Ireland, Charlie O'Mara, this week. Regulars in Maroney's Bar in Ennis will also be very familiar with Charlie, of course. I began by asking him about the possibility of the 13.5% VAT rate being restored.
0: Look, it's a critical issue for the pub trade no more than the rest of the hospitality trade. Um, the retention of the current rate is paramount to business surviving for the next couple of months you know, we're, we're experiencing pretty choppy waters at the moment. Cost of doing business has gone through the roof. And to actually think about even putting the VAT rate up now, you know, there would be no choice in the matter. People are going to have to pass that on. And it's literally you're, you're, you're closing down your own business. So if, if, if the government are serious about trying to keep the whole business alive, the whole hospitality sector, uh, of all times to think about putting it back up now, you know, to be absolutely crazy, and we actually came up there with, I know there, you'll have foreign against and a lot of people are saying that you know, there was a lot of gouging going on which obviously there was, so we actually came up there and we were saying to them, why not if, if if you're not happy with the way things are working, especially in relation to hotel rooms, and I have to say in the greater Dublin area where an awful lot of it's was going on, mm. you know, why not split the the um the race altogether together and take the, the you know, differentiate between your, your food offerings. A small pub or restaurant down the country that's serving food, you know, paying the same VAT rate as a big hotel in Dublin that's, you know, looking for exorbitant rates, you know, on any given weekend, it, it's not a very fair comparison. And why it hasn't been split up to now is beyond a lot of our members. And I think it's something the government would seriously have to look at. But if, if they do go ahead and put the VAT rate back up, Unfortunately, for a lot of members that are struggling, that are only open maybe the weekends, you could literally call it a day for a lot of them, unfortunately.
1: Do you, I mean, we've had a lot of conversations in the past couple of years between COVID restrictions and, and thankfully we're out of that now. Um, new licensing laws coming down the tracks as well, of course, um, which I know that the VFI have has concerns about in many different areas. Now we're talking about a, a VAT rate, cost of living pressures, does the pub sector and your members feel fairly hard done by in the grand scheme of things over the last while? Look, at it's,
0: it's, it's been the perfect storm. We've been hit by one thing after another. You know, before we went into COVID, I suppose, look at a lot of the hospitality sector would have been struggling. Uh, getting through COVID was a nightmare, but coming out the first side of it, as we found our cost, that it wasn't just having your business closed, but you know, the loss of, of staff was a massive issue. Like we lost two years that we nobody knew had been recruited. Then the cost of living went through the roof. And unfortunately, now this this new licensing laws, if they, they go ahead, which I'm hoping they won't. Now there are a number of issues we have been looking for ourselves, but the deregulation in it would be, you know, if anyone's in business and is being logical about where they're going, you can't run a business from day to day anymore. If if you're looking, you're saying, you know what. The only thing the government is on actually do for us now is, instead of giving us a bit of support when we really need it, they we're going to deregulate the industry. And suddenly, you know, for pubs that were struggling, where you have a village now where, you know, there might have been 10 or 12 pubs, you're down to one or two, that they're going to allow new businesses to open beside you, which will literally cause you down. That's the, the, the reality of it Is there a healthy
1: competition uh, aspect there to it in the sense that what I mean by that is like I was only reading reports today and I know this doesn't impact County Clare necessarily but points in Temple Bar you're looking at a tenner that, you know that that maybe if i'm i'm just surmising here if there were maybe in certain rural areas a couple of pubs that it might encourage people to maybe go out for the night and maybe go on for a you know a bit of a crawl rather than if there was one pub you know I suppose I'm trying to look at things positively but are there any aspects of that where it could benefit the trade
0: we we don't see it look at it'll it probably benefits you know it, it's very much um, a rural divide as usual that you know, maybe in, in Dublin, when you look at the big weekends in Dublin where the people are pouring in for, you know, the big matches and there's always something going on. Obviously, then there's there's more of a demand there for it. Whereas you go out the country, I was down to a young there in East Clare the other day, and, and in one village where there was 13 pubs originally, there are down to two, and the two that are open are, are struggling to survive. So, you know, bringing in a new pub into that village is not going to... Number one it's going to be impossible to ask someone to go in if you're looking at a business and you're saying to yourself you know where will i open a new business where have i a chance to survive you know you're not going to go into an area that's already dying a death so it makes no sense whatsoever you know to come up with a proposal like that that's going to you know revitalize the industry if i'm going to open a new business i'm going to go to an area you know, like like the Temple Bar, where there's a good profit margin where you have a chance of, you know, surviving long-term, I'm not going to go to rural Ireland and say, you know what, With seven or eight pubs here. They're down to two. What in God's name would have they done here? So it's going to do nothing whatsoever for the, the industry. And what it'll actually do is it'll kill off what's left there, and that is the reality of it. Now, people will open up pubs, that's guaranteed, but they'll come into the areas that, you know, it's viable that they have a chance of making a few bob, but the other side of it is that the, the uh, pubs are already there. You know, is there enough business for them to survive as well? That's you know another issue. And maybe in the big cities you'll see it, but then again we've seen the opposite, whereas like the likes of Cork. We've lost an awful lot of members in Cork which would be a vibrant city that's mm-hmm. going well. So you know, I think that it's it's very Dublin driven as well. Unfortunately, you know that proposal is it but reflective I, I of society in
1: a that. way, Charlie? Like, yeah, I, I suppose that rural-urban divide and more people living in urban centres, etc. That, yeah, I, I I suppose the government might argue that they're they're moving with society. Now that there's also the argument that society moves with the government. I suppose it's a chicken and egg type yeah, thing. That.
0: Yeah, look, yeah, look, there's, there's arguments for and against on every side of it. But like what we would have liked to have seen over the last number of years was, you know, something constructive to keep rural Ireland alive, to keep the small towns and villages around us, apart from the pubs, you know, the, the likes of local transport, things like that. And they're not going to be addressed. Bringing in a new pub is not going to make any great difference to you. You know, unless there's an infrastructure there, no matter what business you're in, unless there's something there to keep people in that area, you know, it, it, there's no point in saying we'll open a new business. That's, that's you know, you look around the town of Innes and the amount of shops and businesses that close come and go, which is no good for any town. So you've, you've you know, a, an abundance of one type of business and they're just open and close and open and close. It doesn't look good for your town. It doesn't look good for a village. It doesn't do anything to help, um, you know, that the, um, the, 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 overall, the overall scheme of things that, you know, that'll keep a place going. So I, I don't think it'll do anything. You know, on its own, it, it certainly is a waste of time as far as I'm concerned. You know, if they come up with a proposal and said, look, we're going to do something to, to help, you know, the infrastructure, come up with some new ideas. But just putting in, saying, oh, you know we'll bring in new pubs, that's going to revitalize an area. That isn't going to happen. They're not going to go into the areas that are dying. They're going to go into the places that's a few pubs, to be made. So, you know, in the overall scheme of things, I, I, I don't see it as being very positive.
1: You mentioned Ennis. Um, I suppose Ennis is unique and it almost crosses that rural-urban divide in some respects. And, and you're out there in Moronis and many people will be familiar with you. How do you look at trading in Ennis now, um, now that you've got, you've got over the last few years as a town specifically? We see the 2040 plan. We were talking about the, the intertown bus route not so long ago. Do you see positivity in the town's future and in terms of trading?
0: Yeah, look, it is—it's so much to offer, You know, it's a great town, but I suppose the big problem is for for Innes no more than any other small town. Is there are too many, you know, businesses just open and closing. You know, we the, the town centre is dying. If you walk up Parnell Street, even Abbey Street is beginning to, you know, have that look about it. You know, in parts, it, it's it's there, there's a lot, you know, that can be this positive about the town, but how to revitalize the town, you know. I, I think myself personally that, you know, if you are bringing in stuff, you you need something that's going to last. You know, this kind of idea that when you look around the town on any given week, a pop-up shop's coming and going. You know, that's no good for any town. Um, And in our own side of the industry, we've seen, God knows how many closures in in, in the, the last number of years. But we also have the experience at the moment where, you know, so many of our members are only open maybe two or three nights a week. And it's only viable for them to open. So... You know, to even for, for a town like Innes that, you know, there's a young population, there's a, a growing population there that we'd still see or remember struggling, you know, to make it viable to stay open seven nights a week is no longer possible. And so you, you'd have to question, you know, is, is, are we a serious issue in town or no more than any other county or any other town in Ireland? And we definitely do. Like, people are struggling, you know, the cost of living has gone. Through the roof for a lot of people. There's a lot of people struggling to pay mortgages and debt. So, people are just aren't coming out. So if they're not spending the shops. They're not coming out to us. So for for every industry and you know at every level, everyone is experienced trouble at the moment. So like of all times, you know you need support to keep places alive, to keep get you know over the next hill, and to get beyond this. But so the big worry is that you know if the if if the government gets it wrong. You could see, you know, towns like Innistain, unfortunately. You know, and at the moment, if you walk around, you count how many buildings are lying idle on any given week, I, I think it's scary. And you need the money there, like, to keep the councils going, for the rates to come in and, you know, everything. There's a knock-on effect down for everybody down the road. But, you know, I think it, it, of all times, you know, the government are sitting down this week. They're going to look and see what extra supports. But they, they need to get it right. Otherwise, we won't have our towns. You know, that's that's the sad part about it.
1: Big questions to answer uh, at almost every level, really. uh, But uh, be very interesting to see what that decision is on the hospitality VAT rate next week. Um, But for now, it
0: it most certainly will.
1: Absolutely. Um, chair of the Clare branch of the Vintners Federation of Ireland, Charlie O'Mara. Thanks very much for speaking with us on. Not a bother, Josh. Okay. Very interesting views there from Charlie and certainly seemingly a mixed bag for the hospitality sector and specifically pubs. I'm sure Charlie and many others, including ourselves in the Clare Means business team, will be watching next week's government announcement with eyes peeled about what it all might mean in the short, medium and long term. Now, as I mentioned earlier, the EY Entrepreneur of the Year programme 2023 is officially open for nominations. It's very much a programme that we've had some success with in County Clare over the years as well. Emer McCran is Associate Director and EY Entrepreneur of the Year Ireland programme lead and is with us on the line. Thanks for your time, Emer. Can you briefly remind us then what the programme entails?
2: Yeah, of course. So over the past 26 years, we've received nominations from um, a diverse range of sectors, including tech, life sciences, food, construction, retail, uh, manufacturing and many more. And we're hoping for the same to, to happen this year. And we are um, particularly um, reaching out to those entrepreneurs in Clare and across the island of Ireland. We're seeking entrepreneurs from um, emerging um, established and kind of further afield um, companies on the global stage, um, entrepreneurs to enter the program um, now. And it's 26th year, and um, we're we're really encouraging those entrepreneurs to to um, put put forward nominations.
1: And the theme for this year, the art of entrepreneurship. Talk to me about that. I mean, what what does that mean? And is it is it a dying art in some ways?
2: No, not at all. Like we've seen, particularly in the last couple of years, and in COVID times and times of challenge, we've seen entrepreneurship um really come come out in force we, we we particularly have this team this year um so the art of entrepreneurship which recognizes kind of creative entrepreneurs and continually kind of repainting and reframing businesses and communities across the island of ireland through innovation bravery and a unique capacity to see those opportunities so if you take our alumni of kind of 26 years that group have really come together to to repaint and, and refocus the future of, of, of new businesses across the island
1: and among those alumni i'm sure Um, we were speaking about her affair caroline dunley um locally here um, with core optimization spoke to her here on the podcast around this time last year i think um when, when the, the the program was was well underway and we've had a bit of success in in these parts over the years
2: yeah, absolutely. We, we've, welcomed, um, we've welcomed a good few um, Clare entrepreneurs in the programme in the last, all the way back to 1999 um, with um, Cross at Low Pantry and um, with Neil Gardner. Um, so the Clare entrepreneurship is alive and it's been um, definitely part of our programme in the last number of years. And as I said, mentioning um, Caroline Dunley there from Core Optimization. We really, really want to call out uh, female applicants for the program. Caroline flew the flag last year for for Claire, uh, with core optimization, and is a is a great um, is a great ambassador for female entrepreneurship across the island. That is something that um, we we do really want to focus on this year. Female entrepreneurs aren't as quick to put their hands up, and that's something that we see globally across the global program of the Entrepreneur of the Year program. But we do really want to call out female entrepreneurship uh, for this.
1: Yeah, because that's really interesting because we were only speaking uh, with Chambers Ireland um, about female entrepreneurs last week here on the podcast. And, and they were sort of saying the same thing about females maybe being that bit slower to put the story, the, the hand up. But often the female entrepreneurs have a better story to tell and, and have had a more wide ranging journey to get where they are.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And we've seen that across the board. We have a female forum within the alumni group here in the U.I. Entrepreneur of the Year programme to support um, and, and really kind of champion female entrepreneurship within the group so it's, it's hugely important for us and it's a big focus um, for the program. Our alumni network you know with 580 entrepreneurs over the last 26 years employing over 200,000 people and revenues of more than 23 billion there is a good chunk of that group who are um, female entrepreneurs and um, all doing business together a, a good chunk of them are, are, are you know so that's that cross kind of collaboration and and network again coming through and um, through the start of the program.
1: I know you mentioned uh, this briefly earlier, just in terms of looking for any and all sectors to apply and and all size businesses as well, because I, I've spoken to entrepreneurs, corporate entrepreneurs from, you know, with 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 big revenues behind them. And then, you know, very small shop type entrepreneurs, I, I guess that word entrepreneur, particularly for a small business, you wouldn't want to maybe discourage them just because they aren't necessarily hitting seven figures gross profit every year?
2: No, not not at all. And that's why that's where the categories come into play. So um, as briefly mentioned earlier, so we have the emerging category, established category and international. So emerging um, are businesses that are kind of six, seven years old, um, turnover of kind of minimum of one million euro and. Um, established are kind of those family businesses and um, kind of multi-generation businesses that are kind of operating in Ireland and further afield in the, in the UK and then international are those much larger businesses with kind of great scale that are that are operating on kind of a, a global stage and that you know they're the they're the entrepreneurs that we're looking for across all categories so there's there's eight in each category and um, so it really gives everyone a everyone a chance to kind of put their hand up and there, there's all different types of, of entrepreneurs and I, I briefly mentioned those sectors earlier, but mm. we are really we're really looking for a diverse array of nominees from, you know, both age, gender, location and background. So um, it, it's a really um, it's a really open process.
1: And a sign of the times, really, that um, we have a sustainability award this year as well.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And that's an addition um, of the, that you know, the first time we, we had that award was last year. And it really acknowledges the, the critical importance of innovation and leadership and meeting those kind of collective sustainability challenges and um, we had um, Stephen Nolan from Nutritics who, who took the award last year but he's not he's not the only kind of sustainable entrepreneur that we've had over over the years and that's kind of why we we really wanted to have a particular focus on this so we had the likes of John Mullins from Amaranco Solar who's in that space Richard Kennedy who are who was our winner overall winner a number of years ago from Devonish who's also in that space so there are entrepreneurs that are making a huge difference um, in the area of sustainability. So we, we want to reach out to them as well. and There is that, that additional award um, for that for that category.
1: The programme, I suppose the reputation nearly speaks for itself now at this stage and there's a hell of a portfolio of work behind it. But for those who, who do win and, and, and who are nominated even, like what are the, I suppose, medium to long term benefits for their business overall, if and when they do?
2: yeah so uh, as mentioned, there's a winner from each category, and then um, there's kind of the overall winner, if you like who who goes on to to represent Ireland on a global stage and um, in Monaco with with the other programs around the world. But I suppose the the number one benefit to the program is you know definitely the network. So, as I mentioned, there's you know over five hundred and eighty entrepreneurs and having access, and everyone tells me I've been on the program for a number of years, you know, it's a lonely journey being entrepreneur being an entrepreneur and having that network to you know bounce ideas off and and support that that would be the number one benefit of the program you don't have to pay to be a member of the program you know you can't you can't buy your way into this network but that is hands down the, the most kind of impressive and and you know the reason that a lot of people come come to join the group or or um, enter the program but as well as that you know, you're taken on once you're once you're named as a finalist in our 24 our class of 2023, you're brought on this development program um, for the year. And that involves things like media support. It involves support from from everyone here in EY. And as well as that, um, the, the big thing is the CEO retreat, which takes place in Singapore this year. Uh, We've done the CEO retreat um, in a number of locations over the last number of years, be it um, Hong Kong, San Francisco, New York, Boston, and this year we're we're taking the group to Singapore, to a really really interesting market. That week is going to look like, you know, really immersing themselves into a into a new market. We also welcome previous alumni on that on that trip. Usually we'll have about one hundred and twenty travelling on that week long. um, I suppose. CEO boot camp is a better way of putting it. Mm. Is executive education, company side visits, and then I suppose if you have hundred and twenty odd entrepreneurs in a, in a in one room, you can imagine the amount of networking that's done. But actually, much more importantly, the amount the amount of business that they're doing together. And you know, in our recent survey, we we um we, with the alumni, the seventy five percent of this group actually do business together. So you can just imagine how powerful, um, how powerful that group is on that trip.
1: Very important indeed. And just lastly, Emer, then just for those who are looking to apply, how can they do so? When's the closing date? And have you any tips for people when it comes to their application?
2: Yeah, of course. So you can go to eoy.ie, so www.eoy.ie. Um, nominations are open now until the 2nd of March, and um, I would welcome anybody to reach out to myself, Imer McCran here in EY, or any member of the team um, via email, LinkedIn, and I'd be happy to chat through the process. It's very um, quick. It's a, a kind of a, a couple of minutes to, to do a high-level kind of application form, and after that, um, in terms of time, um, we, we kind of take all of that away and, um, and and present it to our judging panel, which comprises of um, previous winners of the programme. So although EY facilitates the, the process, it is completely an independent judging panel. And the whole purpose of that is it's entrepreneurs judging entrepreneurs. So that's also hugely important for the, the credibility of the programme um, and the independence of it as well.
1: Sounds excellent. I'm really looking forward to seeing those 2023 nominees and winners. And fingers crossed we have some once again here from County Clare. But for now, um, Eamon McCran, uh, Associate Director and EY Entrepreneur of the Year uh, Ireland Programme Lead. Thanks very much for speaking with us on Clare Means Business. Thank you. Great to talk to Emer. and as I say, we can only be hopeful that there's more clear success in the awards later this year. If you are an entrepreneur in this county, and we've spoken to many, of course, with some fantastic stories here over the years, no matter your industry or your sector, whether you're over a big corporation or an SME, do throw your hat in the ring. As Emer mentioned there, the spin-off from even being nominated in the competition could be massive for your business. For now, though, that's unfortunately where time's beaten us on this week's edition of Claire Means Business. Thanks very much for your ear over the last 20 minutes or so. We'll be back with a new edition next week. But for now, stay safe and we'll chat to you again next Friday.
0: You've been listening to an exclusive Claire FM podcast presented by Josh Pranderville. Log on each week to hear Claire Means Business.